Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today's topic is what is the research and development or R&D credit and how do I qualify? And we have a special guest on this episode. Now, before we get into that, I just want to remind you that we have our Small Business Tax Savings Summit coming up in June of 2022. This is a virtual two-day, 12-hour event where, we, where you will walk away rejuvenated with ideas and implementation steps to lower your tax bill immediately and pay the least amount in taxes legally possible. Be sure to check that out at taxsavingspodcast.com forward slash summit. Again, today's topic is what is the research and development or R&D credit and how do I qualify? And as part of that that topic, we brought on a special guest today. We have John Tucker from KBKG uh, to talk about the R&D credit. So John, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. So I think just to start out, to give the audience a little bit of idea of kind of what is the R&D credit, um, if you can just kind of start out from a high level, explain kind of what is the research and development credit and kind of, you know, from a general idea, who would be interested in something like this? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the R&D tax credit is really what I kind of consider a jobs-based credit. Um, its purpose was to encourage companies to invest in research and development and invest in those jobs here in the United States. Um, and really what, what is uh, driving the credit is the activities that companies perform. Uh, so you don't have to be in any particular industry or a particular type of company in order to be eligible for the credit. You only have to be doing what we call as qualified activity in order to be eligible for the credit. So it is really a broad-based credit um, that that could apply to a lot of companies. So just because you're not in pharmaceuticals or what I call white lab coat, beaker, test tube type industry doesn't mean you're not eligible. Uh, that's a common misconception. Uh, that that you have to be in that high science type field in order to qualify. And in reality, you don't, because it is all about job creation and job growth. Awesome. And when we're talking about the R&D credit, what type of credit is it? So, you know, what is that credit being applied? Is this just a check you get in the mail or where is that R&D credit? How are you receiving that credit? So the R&D tax credit is traditionally an income-based tax credit. So it's used to offset any income tax liability on your income tax return. So that's generally where the vast majority of R&D tax credits are claimed. Um, okay. And they're not only the federal U.S. R&D tax credit, there are a number of states that offer R&D tax credits as well. Uh, so it is possible to reduce your tax liability uh, in states as well. Uh, there is one uh, kind of exception for certain companies or if you meet certain requirements where you could be eligible to use the R&D tax credit to offset any payroll tax um, versus an income tax. So there, there are an exception for that, but the vast majority of uh, R&D tax credits are income tax credits that are used to offset income tax liability on your income tax return. Excellent. So if you have a company like a partnership or an S corporation or, or a flow through type entity, this would simply be a credit that just comes off of uh, on your tax return to reduce the total income taxes that you end up having to pay. That's right. So if you are a, a shareholder of an S corp or a partner in a partnership, um, to the extent that particular entity is eligible for the R&D tax credit, 
the portion of the credit that relates to you as the shareholder or the partner would be allocated to you on the K-1 that you receive. And that K-1 uh, would be then put on your personal tax return where you would utilize that R&D tax credit to offset any tax liability that is generated from that trader business, that S-Corp or that uh, partnership that you're a member of. Okay. Awesome. Now that brings up a good question. You know, how would a business know if they qualify for this credit or what does it take to qualify for the R&D credit? Yeah, absolutely. So, so as I mentioned earlier, it's an activities based credit, so not an industry based credit. So it's going to be based on underlying activities that your company may be performing. Um, and in order to be eligible for the credit, you have to meet what we call a four part test. And so if an activity or all your activities that you're performing, it doesn't have to be you know just one, it can be a combination of activities. If they meet this four-part test definition, then you would be uh, potentially eligible for the R&D tax credit. Uh, and so I'll just kind of quickly go over those four parts just so you can kind of understand you know, what type of activity you got to be performing in order to be at least initially eligible. Um, so the first test is the activity has got to be technological in nature, meaning it's got to rely upon a hard science. So these are chemistries, biology, engineering, software development, mathematics. That's the first test. Got to be hard science. Second test is the activities got to meet what we call a permitted purpose, meaning the activity must be intended to develop or improve a product, process, formula, technique, or invention. So these can be revolutionary brand new products or products, processes that you've never done before. But more often where we see companies qualify is in the evolutionary or incremental improvements uh, that you make to existing products and processes. So anytime you're trying to make something better, faster, cheaper, stronger, more reliable, more functionality, that all can meet the permitted purpose test. And then the third and fourth tests go hand in hand with each other. And what the third test states is at the outset of the activity, there must be some form of technical uncertainty. And this can be in the form of capability, methodology, or appropriate design. Capability, meaning you have no idea that you can achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Clearly a technical uncertainty. But where we see most companies qualify is in the methodology or appropriate design. Meaning given enough time and resources, you know you can achieve what you're trying to do. You just don't know the best way or the most optimal way to do it. So what you do is you undergo the fourth part of the test, which is a process of experimentation to eliminate that technical uncertainty. And this is just some iterative process that you go through to evaluate alternatives or test hypotheses. It could be technical discussions, whiteboarding discussions, prototyping, beta testing, trial and error. Just anything that's iterative in nature where you're evaluating different ways of doing things can all meet the process of experimentation test. And so if an activity or activities, because you could be doing more than one activity, meets this four-part test, uh, four test definition, then it is potentially eligible for the R&D tax credit. Got it. So it is to confirm it's meeting all four of that four part test, correct? That's right. You have to meet all four parts. The activity has to meet all four parts uh, in order to be an eligible for the credit. Awesome. Now, from from a high level standpoint, what type of what type of credit are we looking for? Or what what, what how is the credit calculated just from like a high level rough numbers of, say, let's say you have one hundred thousand dollars or something like that in expenses related to an activity that does qualify, that does meet the four-part test. What's a rough idea of kind of what the credit might be related to that? Sure. So, so once you determine an activity qualifies, and as you point out, you got to identify the costs that go into that activity. And there's three types of costs that are defined 
that are eligible for the R&D tax credit. One is wages that you pay your employees and that you pay yourself. So you might remember what I said earlier on, it's a jobs-based credit. It's based on underlying wages, right? So if you have employees that are performing qualified activities or you have employees that are directly supervising and directly supporting the qualified activity, you can pick up their wage in the R&D credit computation. So that's the first cost is wages. Second is supplies that are used and consumed in the R&D process. So these are tangible items that are not subject to depreciation. So these are more of your consumables, things that have less than a year life that you're using in your R&D process. We can't qualify things like uh, computers or machinery and equipment uh, that you purchased for your manufacturing process because those are items that are subject to depreciation. But it's more of the consumables. And then the third cost is contract research. So these are third parties that you've engaged to assist you with the research and development. And those could be 1099 individuals or other companies that you may have engaged to help you with the development or do testing on your behalf or anything like that. So as long as those uh, costs are going and contributing to that activity, you'd fill up that bucket with those costs, the wages, the supplies, the contract research. And when you fill it up, approximately for every dollar that you qualify, you'll get about seven to 10 cents back or seven to 10% in an R&D tax credit. So for example, if you had $500,000 of eligible expenditures, again, of wages, supplies, and contract research, if you had 500,000, you can estimate that you'd have around a $50,000 US federal R&D tax credit. So that's a, just kind of rule, uh, an example or an estimate of how you come up with the credit. Um, it could be higher than 10% and it could be lower than 7%, but a good average is that seven to 10% just to give you a good idea. Cause it's a constantly, uh, evolving formula year over year. So one year you may have a higher credit and the next year you may have a lower credit. It's just going to depend on your facts. Excellent. Now you mentioned one thing in that I thought was unique is, is the idea of this contractors and, and, and them being also included in this. So when we talk about contractors, does it have to be an individual or can it be a company that you're contracting work through? Let's say you're doing software development and you're hiring a company to do it. And then just kind of an offset of that, um, being a jobs-based and being kind of a U.S. tax credit, I would assume that the contractors also would have to be U.S.-based. Yes, that's exactly correct. So, so to answer your first question, a contractor can be an individual or it can be a company. Right. As you mentioned, your example, you're doing some software development. You may engage a company that does coding on your behalf. Right. You can qualify the expenditure that you paid to that company. But as you point out, it is a U.S. based credit. So it's what we call a boots on the ground credit, meaning the activity or the individuals that are performing the activities have to be physically located in the United States in order to be eligible for the credit. So to the extent you may uh, outsource some of this uh, overseas, so in your software sense, if you pay a, a, a company that's in, say, India or China or somewhere like that, the cost that you pay that company in India is not eligible because the developers are sitting in India. Um, so that would not be eligible. However, if you have developers working on the same application here in the United States, you can pick up the cost related to the developers you have in the United States. So it's not an all or nothing deal. You just pick up the portion that relates to the boots on the ground, the people here in the U.S. Okay. Awesome. And I guess just a side note on that, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but if you're contracting with a U.S. company, uh, I would assume there would need to be some details about kind of who from that company was working for on it to ensure that there was no foreign um, workers working through via that U.S. company. 
That's right. You're generally going to want to ask for uh, documentation, and that can be in the form of the invoice that is issued to you or in your actual uh, agreement or or engagement letter or whatever it is that you may have uh, that you're engaging with that company to kind of stipulate that all will be U.S. based. Or let's say they have a hybrid where some of their developments overseas and some is in the U.S. that they bifurcate on your invoice. How much of the amount relates to overseas development versus how much relates to U.S. development? Okay. Makes complete sense. Now, when we talked about this credit kind of being an income tax credit, you know, if you have a question I would have would be, is, is it worth calculating the R and D credit if there's going to be a net loss or let's say we were running a loss across the board and I have no income tax, does it still make sense to look at this R and D credit or is it even valid? Right. So, so the answer is it's going to be dependent upon your facts and circumstances, but generally speaking, even if you're in a net operating loss position, these credits have value to them. Uh, one, because in the year that you generate the credit, so let's just say for the 2020 tax year that just got filed for most people recently, if you had a loss in that year, you can still claim the credit on your tax return. And what the rules would stipulate is you would carry that credit back one year. So back to 2019 to see if you paid any tax in 19 and you can get a refund for your 2020 credit by filing for a refund on the 19 return where you actually did pay tax. But in the circumstance, let's say you were also in a loss in 19 and also a loss in 2020, you can still claim the credit in 2020 and it carries forward for up to 20 years. So you'd be able to eventually utilize the credit, hopefully, uh, once you become taxable or have any tax liability. Um, states have similar rules as well, but they have different carry back and carry forward uh, uh, rules than, than the federal. But you can carry it back one year and then it carries forward 20 years. Um, so they are still valuable and you can accumulate them and use them all at once if you want, uh, you know, in a future year um, it, once you become taxable. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, if you are in a lost position, I mentioned a little earlier, uh, for certain startup companies, um, you would be eligible to utilize the R&D tax credit uh, to offset payroll tax, right? So you're paying employees, so you're going to have to um, you know, pay Social Security uh, tax on those employees. Um, there is a provision out there if you meet certain requirements where you can use the credit to offset those payroll tax versus you having to pay them. So there is that ability to for certain startup companies. Awesome. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners on here that are thinking, man, I, I could have used this last year. I could have used it the year before, um, but j- just weren't aware of, of the credit or, or, or the potential that they might be available for the credit. So if you missed a year, if you missed, if you if you could have claimed it in 2019, you found your return, didn't, didn't know about it, uh, but now are realizing it, can you claim any missed credits from prior years? Yes, you can. So the general rule is you can go back to any open tax year and amend that year to claim a credit that you have missed. So generally speaking, the statute of limitations or open years is three years. So you can technically go back up to three years and claim any missed credits in those prior years. There are rare circumstances, or I shouldn't say rare, there are certain circumstances where you may be able to go back further depending on your facts and circumstances. But for the vast majority of people, you can go back to any open year, which is usually three years back. Excellent. Now, I guess a, a question to kind of um, to, to, to continue that idea is, is there a certain amount of years, like can you only use the credit for a certain amount of years? Or if you're constantly developing a process or constantly developing or improving 
a new process? Can you take this for five years, 10 years, 15 years in a row? Or are you limited to a certain amount of time frame or years that you're able to claim this credit? It is an ongoing credit. So it's an annual credit that you would evaluate year over year. And um, as you point out, if you're constantly changing or enhancing or trying to do better your process or the product that you're developing, even if you claim the credit on that exact same product last year, if you still worked on enhancing it the next year or adding more functionality the next year, you still claim the credit on that same exact product. It's just the activity you're doing now is whatever that enhancement was for the, that second year. So it is an ongoing exercise that you would evaluate every year and you'd be eligible to claim it every year as long as you're performing qualified activity. Excellent. Now, a question that I have on this is, let's say that we're, we're performing research and development at a, at a customer or a client's request. And I, and I think an idea behind this would be, let's say you're a software company. Client comes to you and says, hey, I, you know, I'm interested in this piece of software. Can you start to develop it or think about developing it? And my question would be is if you're that company that's doing that R&D at, at a customer's request, do you qualify for the credit or is it just the client then that would qualify? That's a great question. And of course, with every great question, the answer is it depends. Um, <laughs> so you got to look into the actual contractual arrangement that you have with that particular customer or client to understand uh, two concepts in the R&D world. One is uh, do you retain substantial rights to that development, even though a customer is requesting it? So you got to retain substantial rights. And who bears the economic risk to that development? The whole idea around the rights and risks is to basically only allow one company or one person to be able to claim a credit on the exact same activity. So to understand whose research it is. And so substantial rights does not mean exclusive rights. Uh, substantial rights just means you have the right to use the technology or whatever you've developed in your trader business, you use it in your trader business and you don't have to pay for the right to use it, right? So you don't have to pay a royalty back to that client or whatever it is um, to use it. So that's substantial rights. Even if you give, even if that client has rights to it, you too may have rights to it. The risk of loss has to be yours as well. Meaning that if it fails or you aren't able to produce whatever it is that you uh, are trying to develop, that you bear the risk of loss there, right? That you're not going to get compensated regardless of the outcome. So that's the other side of it. Because if you are going to get compensated regardless of the outcome, then it's the other person's R&D because it's their risk. So that's the two things to look at there is the rights and risks. But yes, you can still qualify for the credit even if it's requested by a specific customer or client. Okay. Now, when we're talking about the R&D credit and uh, in applying for it, determining if you qualify, what kind of documentation is typically required in order to claim the R&D tax credit? So there, there is documentation requirements. Um, just like any other tax credit or deduction that you claim on your tax return, you have to have substantiation behind your claim. The rules basically stay you have to have books and records, right? So there is no magic list that you need X, Y, or Z in order to be eligible to claim the credit. So there, you have to compile uh, information that you may have that helps support as to why your activity meets that four-part test. So like I said, there is no set list, but based on you know our experience as a firm and the type of documentation we request, it can be as simple as uh, management uh, summaries, uh, meeting minutes, uh, progress reports, budgets, drawings if you're you know in an engineering sense, uh, test data, testing plans, 
uh, project lists, white papers, lessons learned, you know, any of those things could go into that document and show that, hey, we were uncertain what we were doing. Here's some of the test results, things like that. So there's a variety of documentation you can gather, but you do need to make sure you have some sort of documentation to help support your claim. You can't just put a number on your tax return and say, that's it. That it definitely qualifies. You got to be able to point to something to show as to why that qualifies. Okay. Now, when it comes to, you know, going through this process of seeing if I qualify, calculating the, the, the credit that you could potentially take, is there typically a, a rough idea of say expenditure should be X amount before it makes sense to, to actually do the work and kind of get into the legwork of this. So let's mm-hmm. say we're doing a, a new process or something that costs five to $10,000. Is that, does that make sense at that level to do an R and D study to see if there's a credit available there? Or is there a certain threshold that you say, yeah, it probably doesn't make sense at least cost wise until you reach that amount. Right. So, so every person is going to be different. Um, it may be worth their time or not. Right. So if you use my, you know, law of average, if you had $5,000 of spend, 10% of 5,000 would be a $500 credit. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a matter of the individual. If they think it's worth the time and effort that they're going to have to put in to get the documentation, to put it together, put it on the tax form is worth the $500. So every person is going to make a different uh, decision based on, is it worth the time and effort? Um, but generally speaking, you know, to engage a firm like ourselves to assist with the development efforts and make the cost benefit worthwhile, we generally like to see around $150,000 of spend where it starts to make sense to engage a firm like our firm to help you with that development uh, of documentation and the credit computation and tax forms, because that will get you around a, a $15,000 credit. So we want to make sure that the fees uh, and the documentation is worth the cost benefit for that. Um, but an individual can choose to try to do it on the, uh, on their own, right? If they want that $500, they can do so. It's just a matter of if they want to put in the time and effort to get the documentation, collect it, save it, fill out the forms. And is that worth $500 to them? Makes sense. And, and I think that segues into a good point about the R&D credit in general. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is fairly complex. I know we've gone through a lot of stuff and, and just the way you've explained it sounds like, Hey, it's pretty easy. You know, you just, I take some documentation here, but I know that it, it is a little bit more complex than just, um, you know, taking a, t- filing a few documents and then taking a credit. So explain a little bit about where KPKG comes in, kind of what your process looks like. If we have a listener that's interested in doing the R&D credit and they say, yep, I want to have somebody help me along this process for it. What does your kind of process look like for managing or handling that uh, R&D research, uh, determining the qualification, and then ultimately uh, applying or getting the credit? Sure. So it all starts with a discussion, right? So we're happy to have a discussion with anybody. Um, you know, So feel free to reach out to, to myself or anyone on the KBKG team um, to have a discussion and just, just discuss your facts, right? So we'll discuss what your company does, how much you're kind of generally spending, uh, and get an understanding uh, of do we think you're potentially eligible for the credit? So that's how we would start is just by a conversation. You know, and once we have that conversation, we determine, hey, there there might be some meat on this bone. What we would typically do is we would engage with you with what we call a phase one analysis, which is a, an analysis that we would do free of charge for you, where we would actually gather specific data, actual data, 
from you versus just kind of the high level talk that we had to at least validate the um, the opportunity. But we'd request specific data from you so that you could have a good idea of what are your potential credits, you know, in all those years that I talked about that I may have missed in the past. What are they? What could they estimate to be? What states can I um, qualify and what is that amount? Right. And then from there, we can present to you. Here is what we estimate your credits to be by jurisdiction, by year. Does any of this interest you? Uh, and then from there, you can make a go, no go decision on, yeah, I want to pursue this. No, I don't want to pursue this. Or I don't want to pursue this year, not that year or this state and not that state. And at that point in time, once you have that information, so you have a little better idea that you truly do qualify and where the dollars may be, we would propose to you our phase two, which is where we would give you uh, our fee options for that work for you to go in, calculate, document and get those credits for you. Okay, excellent. And yeah, for any listeners that are interested in at least exploring, uh, is does R&D make sense for you based on your situation? Uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes that you can go to to set up a meeting or schedule a time to get connected with uh, Jonathan or someone at the team over at KBKG. So if you're interested in learning more about the R&D and, and if it's something for you, uh, definitely check out that link in the show notes. Uh, also a reminder that we did a little bit deeper dive on the R&D credit within the tax minimization program. Uh, so we did a webinar with the KBKG team and there's going to be more deeper dives. So if you're a tax minimization program member, be sure to check that out. If you are not a member of the tax minimization program, go there now to learn more tax savings podcast.com forward slash tax. Uh, John, it was, it was a pleasure to have you on. This was incredible information. And, you know, I think that this was a, was an excellent overview of the R&D credit. And uh, I, I think it's just good that is, is what we focus on this podcast is to just bring awareness to business owners about tax savings potential. And I think this is a major topic that many people might not realize is available to them. So hopefully um, by doing this overview, we can uh, just have another avenue, another option to continue that save taxes and, and just become aware of some of the options that are available out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. And listeners, thank you for listening to another episode. And I will see you guys next week.